0: This is MarTech Interviews, a podcast from DK New Media, publishers of MarTech, the leading publication for sales and marketing professionals to research, discover, and learn how technology is driving business results. Your host is Douglas Carr.
1: So welcome to another in our MarTech interview series. Uh, I have a special guest uh, within Indianapolis, Mike Prasad, all the way from, wait, where are you from, Mike? From Los Angeles. Los Angeles, uh, in town. Uh, Mike is the founder of VentureLab and uh, and a a fairly new startup. I think it's Beta, tiny sponsor. So uh, welcome to town. Uh, Mike is going to be speaking for uh, Kenzie Academy tonight at an uh, innovation session, uh, which are fantastic. If you're in Indianapolis, you should really come to these because they bring talent from all over the country. Uh, but Mike, you, you've got a really unique background that I have nothing but respect for. Um, you have uh, obviously started with digital marketing and, and creative and done exceptional there. You took that foundation and built a food truck empire. Uh, you took that <laughs> and uh, started Venture Lab, which was a uh, early startup funding, a- and then now one of the new startups, Tiny Sponsor, which we're absolutely going to talk about, uh, is is uh, is just an incredible tool uh, for finding sponsorships online. So how did you how did you <laughs> what
0: what got you to where you are? Um, I'd like to say it's some grand strategy, but it's really <laughs> just uh, it's really just kind of happenstance. Um, my career there's a lot of stuff that's it's, it's it, it, and, and all that's happened over 18 years wow like maybe maybe closer to 20 years yeah so it's it's been a long time uh I started in high school actually um so I had a a design agency that I was a web designer my my business partner was a programmer and we started building websites for local businesses and it we were. This was in the late '90s. Like no one really knew how to use a website. They just knew that they should have one. Yeah. And so, we had to tell our customers, our clients, like what they should be doing, how to do it, why to do it, um, how to use this thing called the internet. And that was valuable. And we started adding consulting to our repertoire, and then we started expanding into more of a, a full services agency where it was design, print, marketing, consulting, um, but all around focused on digital and, and digital media. Yeah, so that evolved over the years. And a lot of our clients were local businesses, and they needed to market. And so this idea of community-based marketing, word-of-mouth marketing, was something that... Um, but, but translating that online was something that we really just ended up focusing on uh, specifically as my role. And we grew over time, ended up winning some awards. And so I always had this focus on how do you use digital to either automate a business or to scale... Uh, marketing and so my focuses is our clients have really been those two things and You know basically is product and social media is what it ended up being so I got into uh, After doing consulting for a long time. I, I got into one startup as a CTO. Uh, I did okay small exit um, and then a gambling startup actually in Vegas I did a product for and then after that got into more back to my research as the media uh, started a network called Bit Love Media, which was girlgamer.com, anna.me, and uh, Dread Central. Uh, I created the first two uh, with me and my brother, um, and then the third one was um, a partner site with this guy, KW Low. And so the whole idea was create a space for community online that would make sure of community, think like Myspace style stuff, um, and and uh, content, so think like an online magazine. Yeah, and We did both, and, and, and this was back in oh seven. Uh, you know, WordPress wasn't what it was today. Right. Uh, we basically ended up coding our own system I bet. Uh, yeah. out of Python. Uh, it was really amazing, actually, uh, and ran that for a while. And we raised. And that was the first time I raised money. So I raised money. Uh, somehow raised 100k in like a week. I'm not even sure how that happened. Yeah. It was really weird. Um, I don't. I don't think I've ever raised faster. <laughs> uh, and it was. And it was weird because it wasn't on a pitch deck. It was on a. It was on a like a one sheet write up that. A contact in New York asked me for, and I was like, "Sure." And then they're like, "Oh, here's the money." I'm like, "Oh, that was disturbingly easy."
1: Well, you were pretty—you were pretty early in the industry, and then you had already done something that you already had your—you didn't even have an MVP. You had a running product, right? No, no,
0: no. We literally just had a—I had a one-page write-up. Oh, you had a one-page. That's what you're running off of. Like I had this idea. <laughs> it was—it was this really really weird thing where um, it was actually who's now a really big VC. Um, it's a uh, great Oaks capital in New York, and they've gone on to become this amazing New York, BC. Uh, but they took a chance early on, and, and it That's was great. random, uh, but it worked out. And so we ended up building this, this media site, and I, I had started building a team around content creation. I had a video production team in-house, I had a podcast team in-house, because the whole thing was cheaper to hire and do stuff ourselves than to like, sure. hire companies to do it for us. And I had, in L.A., there's tons of A.V. talent. Yeah. So the cost isn't super high there because there's a lot of competition. And we covered gaming and anime and film. And these are all things that people love doing. So we had people in the industry who would, like, do it for cheap because they loved just getting access. Like we interviewed Stan Lee and, like, all those really cool people. Right, right. And it took off. Uh, with all the sites, they became the definitive community site within six months for the vertical um, and went from zero to monetization, usually within, like, um uh, we went from zero to monetization, usually within about um, three, three to four months. Wow, that's uh, fantastic. So we scaled up really quickly in terms of just a base level of production. But yeah. then, But then we kind of hit a plateau. We're like, great. We, we got some monetization coming in. Google Ads are okay. We made our name for ourselves in the industry. We were, uh, Girl Gamer was an E3 media partner, like on the banners at E3. Yeah. We paid nothing for that.
1: That's uh, awesome.
0: And so everyone thought we were huge, and we 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 were you know we raised 100k. Yeah, <laughs> um, but, but you had
1: great culture. Or, I mean, you you had great content, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you had you had an audience.
0: Yeah, and we definitely had an audience, yeah. and and you know, no one um, was really catering to the audience's sophisticated in a sophisticated manner in the way we were. So, you know, it was about being legitimate fans and about being le- legitimate enthusiasts, not about a lot of the crazy, weird shit that happens in gaming these days, like, yeah. um, or in anime, even. There's a lot of, like, stuff in the scene that's not necessarily positive. We tried to really maintain a safe place for that. Nice. Uh, for, for the creator, for the, the fans and the community. And so we became, we would always like to do community first, right? And, um, I mean, to the point where we actually have uh, people that have tattooed our logos uh, permanently, which...
1: That's when you know you may I it. mean... <laughs>
0: I mean, the best brands become culture, but yeah. like, that's a whole different level. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so it was going well, but then we, we kinda hit this issue which was when we made the best money is when we were doing direct sponsorships. We were going to Nintendo, going to Microsoft, we were going to Sony, um, or a game publisher, and they were sponsoring our content directly. But the problem with that was that was me doing the sales, me doing all the networking. Right. And we were big enough that like we were big enough that they noticed us and they would pay us money but small enough in the sense that like, we weren't able to do massive buys. We would do like 5, 10K, 20K sponsorships. Yep. Um, so when you're doing that and you spend a lot of time on it, it doesn't scale well. Uh, you're, I,
1: you're hitting a chord here, by the way. Yeah, I mean, I mean
0: <laughs> you know this, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, it, it's, you're getting good money for your time, but there's a cap to that. And if you're the only one doing it, you know, it, it, because at some point your, your rate of return just drops. Right. right. Um, and you can't build a massive company just on that. And, but yet, a lot of media companies do. They have massive sales teams. And so this whole idea was like, well, we have three sites. We have a network. Each of us are small in ag- uh, individually, but in aggregate, yeah, we have over like a couple million a month in terms of uniques. Uh, we had dedicated audience, really high-value audience, and we really said, okay, we need to figure out how to sell the high value and the specificity of our audience, not just the, the numbers, because the numbers themselves are going to, well, we'll get like residual uh, uh, remnant CPM, and it's, 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 it's a crapshoot. It's crapshoot. So that's where the idea for Tiny Sponsor actually came out. Um, it was this idea of, well, what if we get a bunch of small publishers together that were tiny and we built a way to sponsor them in bulk and made that sales process that I was doing manually. I was building pitch sheets, building packages, going on and meeting people and trying to convince them to do it. Uh, what if we could scale that? Um, and that was, the, that's why I bought the domain like in 9 or something. Yeah. Uh, that's when I wrote up the basic business model for it. I wrote up the... Um, the technical like, uh, uh, spec for it, but I never built it because at the same time, in 08, uh, my video editor, Eric Shin, hit me up and said, hey, Mike, my brother-in-law has this idea for this food thing. I know you do marketing and you work with restaurants before and you've done small business and you know digital. Can you help us? Um, so I said, yeah, I'll take a look at it. He always hooked me up with cheap video editing, so I was like, yeah, I can definitely yeah. t- t- sit down. And, and and this is when um Mark Mangara is the guy, and he he's like I got this Korean barbecue taco that him and his buddy Roy Choi had come up with, uh, and they wanted to sell it, and they all come from a restaurant or a hotel industry, a hospitality industry, and but they had no money, and they were like we just need to just we just went we got a truck we're gonna just like throw it on a truck and sit somewhere and hopefully it's gonna work out, and uh, I said you know that's. Not a bad idea. The food sounds interesting, but like, what's the name? What's the brand? How are you building? Like, how are you getting customers? Like, nice. what what makes you unique other than the food? And if you only got one shot at this, how do we make sure we're not going to fail? So, I sat down and I built a strategy, um, which came from this idea of, of me using Twitter. So, I was at South by Southwest around the like a year prior, and my business, my design business partner Anand Sharma, had had a company called Dragon Interactive and he had a blog Um, and I was working with him on a bunch of design client work, Um, some agency stuff and we were up for a web award and we were on stage and uh, we were up against uh, snook.ca, BuzzFeed. (laughs) Wow. And Twitter, yeah. <laughs> and like, I think there was one other site. I felt what the first, fourth one was. <laughs> no competition. Yeah, no comp- <laughs> but, but this is in 07 or like 08, eight. I which Okay, it so but like they were wrong. all small. Like, Twitter was just out. There's maybe a couple thousand people on it. Like it wasn't huge yet. It was really only in the design community. Um, Buzzfeed was this new thing that no one, no one knew what was going to happen, right. and um, we lost to Twitter. And we're like, but they're on a blog, and they called themselves a microblog. And I was super confused. So I got yeah. on it, and I joined, uh, and I, I started using it. And I was like, oh, this is like more of a messaging system. It's a community exactly. system. Like a community yeah. platform. This is cool. Not a microblog. And I was, super, I was super salty about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I, started, I went, got back to LA. I connected with a bunch of people that were on Twitter that were back in LA from South by Southwest, as you do at South by Southwest. And we tried doing tweet ups. And so.
1: Twitter exploded at that South. It
0: right? was. It, it was. That's when Twitter kind of got on the scene, yeah. and then it exploded over the next like 12 to 18 months. Yeah. yeah. Um. That was when really like the um, the design and tech community picked it up. Yeah. Like more than just San Francisco. Right. Uh. That was a break. That was definitely their breakout. Their breakout moment. But it didn't hit mainstream until years later. But, in um, so they're going always tweet ups, and we sat down on on, on Koki, I was like. I'm a big brand guy like coming from my yeah. marketing design background. So I'm like, well, we need a, we need a brand. The brand's got to be super simple. It's got to be uh, very, very um, – I'm all about iconic brands. Yep. So how do you engineer that from up front? And so the idea was that uh, what's food? Well, it's got to communicate. It's got to be um, – the name ha- – like we, we don't want to hit Koreans. The Korean barbecue, Bugogi, is like super not the most welcoming place in the middle of K-Town in L.A. if you're not Korean. Right. Um, now it's a little bit different, but then it was totally like you go with your Korean friend. Yeah. And so I'm like, well, we, I need a name that like non-Koreans would, would remember, wouldn't feel too foreign, would feel ethnic, but not like unapproachable. So, uh, but I also want a name that Koreans would hear and like, oh, I get that, I get what that is. So I mean, Kogi barbecue is basically bulgogi, Uh and gogi is meat and bugogi is fire meat, which is yeah. the Korean barbecue. It's like literally the name. Um, and then we switched to the K or The B is for the K Because it was more palatable Yeah And memorable in two syllables Right So Kogi Most people call it Koji I've got arguments about With people about this I'm like, if I'm like no it's Kogi I'm the brand guy I know yeah, I'm, like, like, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm right about this yeah. uh, I think I, I gave Argued me for 20 minutes I was like really dude um, but, but yeah So so it was called Kogi Barbecue and, and the whole thing was that If you were not Korean You'd understand it It would be memorable You wouldn't quite get it But it would sound cool And everyone was Barbecue um, and on the, on the Korean side, if you heard you're like, oh, like, kind of like, like bulgogi, it reminded you of that, so you would have the right impression. Right. So it communicated the basic thing in the name. And then the logo was really simple. I was like, it's, you know, Fire Meat, you use charcoal, it's like cooked. So I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to use a charcoal style font, a little bit ethnic, not too ethnic. Right. Uh, and, and a little known fact that's kind of a fun fact is the, the, we, the Fire logo. So it's, it's, it's two of the same symbols stacked, right? It's a it's two-color yep. logo. Uh, or two color icon. That's that's stock art. That's so wild. That's the hazard fire symbol <laughs> for like labs. That's one fantastic. of them. One of the variations of it. And I just stacked them, and because the whole thing was like we we I, we had no money. Yeah. I was doing this over lunch. Yeah. So literally it was on my laptop at lunch, and like okay, well let's like just let's do this in a very formulaic manner. It wasn't about like spending a lot of time making it unique. It was like what's going to get the job done? Right. And so, and I wrote up like a one sheet on like why, does it actually, it's online if you Google it. There's a one sheet of like, here's the reasoning behind it. I presented yeah. it to them and they're like, this is good, this works, let's just go with it. Um, I mean, I was doing it for free, so it didn't really matter. Um, <laughs> but, but then, then, then um, they're like, hey, you know, how, what should we go from there? And then I brought in the marketing strategy, this idea of, I was doing tweet-ups. I'm like, I want to tweet up the truck. Yes. I want the truck to be this like, idea of like, uh, arbiter of culture, this idea of Kogi culture. Yeah. And it was based kind of on the story that uh, Roy Choi had, which was his dream of he really wanted to, we wanted to create street food, food, street food culture in LA. And so um, everything I'd done previous, Go Game Ranimate, all based on microculture uh, or niche culture and then scaling that. Um, high enthusiasm, uh, niche culture. And that's what we did. So I built the whole thing around cookies. I so, said, well, what are the cultures that we really map to? What are the elements we want to borrow from? Who is our key customer? And then how do we adopt those things into our own culture that we just essentially designed? And so I built a strategy out, and they were like, hey, you know, you've know, you been helping us. Why don't you join the team? I joined the founding team. And uh, we launched, and I started doing tweet-ups. And, and day one, we launched Thanksgiving weekend of 08. Literally gave away tacos and burritos. We had to bribe. We were outside clubs in Hollywood, so we were bribing the bouncers at the park in front by giving them free food. Yeah. But all the first people were my friends. I'm like, hey, just come out. let tweet up at the truck. I'll, get, I'll hook you guys up with free food. Um, but my friends were like, running uh la weekly laist and um, um they were top twitter people top bloggers nice. that were in la that i met south by southwest so like they were my friends but also the core of that that community yeah and um it it blew up within a month we had it we had like an hour long wait
1: so, th- so so there's some important lessons for people to hear on this so the food stood by itself, right? Great food. The food's I mean, amazing, but uh, right. you're not going to drive two hours and exactly. wait two hours in
0: line for a taco. It's not it, that good. There's no food that's that good.
1: Exactly. And and I, I, I think it's incredible because a lot of startups, I I really do think that they neglect the brand. They, yeah. they, they look at features and features and features and features, uh, and they just neglect, you know, how are we going to build this brand and what do we want to be known as? And so I love that you put so much thought into that process, and maybe it's um, I'm I'm an old guy, so maybe it's maybe it's that traditional marketing background a little bit. You know, it was when when you do print, everything's so expensive that you put a lot of thought into it. yeah. Things, and that's my background; I come yeah, from print. Right? I know and, and film photography. and yeah. all that right. You don't and so have... and so you don't mess around. You you literally really think these things out. And hundred yeah, percent. And I think it just goes to show that when when you can connect it to okay, we've got a great product that's going to stand by itself. But now, you know, we have to have a great brand, we have to have a great, you know, something that's memorable, and then in the middle, putting that community, the echo chamber, right? You know, the culture, you brought the culture to the,
0: well, to it, the it food amazing. truck. We, we, we defined the culture, and then we went, we went to the culture, because we were yeah. a food truck, right? Yeah. So I'm like, we're gonna move around, we're not gonna stay in the same place. And my whole thing is, like, I wanna maximize, because I worked with restaurants before, I'm like, it's all about orders per hour. Yeah. We can maximize orders per hour if we go to where the demand is, that's the advantage of a food truck. As long as people know where we are and we can communicate with them, Twitter, um, and the brand is recognizable, then we should have a fighting chance. Yeah. And so, if like we want to adopt street culture, we pop up in front of a, a street clothing opening gallery or something, awesome. right? Like we would just pop up all these different cultural events, and we can became associated with that, right? And so you
1: you didn't get in line with the other food trucks.
0: Well, there weren't any. Like this is this is oh, a way, this, right? Oh, so like wow. so no way like. There were roach coaches, yeah. that were at construction sites, right. But that was it, right? So, there, so we were the first one that started that wave of, of the awesome. new wave of food trucks, so to speak. But on the brand side, uh, you're right. I mean, I always say the brand is your cheapest form of marketing. You do it once, and it scales, right? Um, I don't think. I mean, I mean, old school is is new school in the sense that marketing hasn't changed. The scale has changed, the, the tools have changed, but the fundamentals haven't. Like we're still love, human, right? I
1: love that you're saying that. Yeah, I, I feel like digital is just this amazing opportunity to get instantaneous feedback. Yeah, that we used to have to wait weeks or months for. You
0: before. Get, Kogi, we got same Day I would look at all the yeah. tweets, I look at the engagement, and then I would go through it manually because I don't want tools. And I'm like, cool. People said this. People, we have demand here. Let's go over there ne- next week because we have enough people asking for us that we know nice. we can probably sell out. So that's how we always kind of we always we made so much money because. We were able to always know where the demand was, but again, digital—it was was word of mouth. So we were just listening to what people were saying, right? Because Twitter is word of mouth marketing on crack, like that's what it is, right? Yeah. Um, And and you look at like Instagram or YouTube, it's content marketing. Right. It's it's on a digital platform. It it has a faster feedback cycle, as a as a larger potential distribution, but it's still content marketing. Right. Right. So, I think anyone. I always hate when I go to these programs or I speak at conferences, and they're like. You know, what's the magic behind social media? It's a mysterious thing. And I'm like, it's not. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's really fundamental.
1: I, lo- I love that you're saying. So- well, and I, I, I almost feel like companies are starting to figure that out now. You know, I, oh,
0: t- a decade later.
1: Yeah, but a decade <laughs> later and a lot of money lost, Yeah, right? You know, because they they weren't sure how to capitalize on it. They just thought it was going to be a new silver bullet. So they they went all in. You oh, know, so and, many food trucks! Yeah,
0: it was like if I'm on Twitter and I have food, I'm gonna make a million dollars. Yeah, it's not how it works.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Ah, oh, that's uh, what a cool story. And and like you get, I said, I, I think it's totally applicable. I was um, Chuck actually had another speaker in the last time, and I and I forget his name, uh, but but he was talking about how even when he before he even went to investors, he spent so much time on the brand, the verbiage, the voice. That when he went to investors, they were so impressed, yeah. you know, that he had all of that laid out. That the the product again was important, you know, but but the but the fact that they had everything set up prior. And I, I man, in the startup industry, and I'm excited because I'm talking to you, a bit, but uh, I just see these companies making that mistake over and over. Oh, again. It happens
0: all the time. I think you, you think brands are helping you or is fighting against you. I had one, there was one startup I was talking to you like a long time ago I forget what their name was. it was like something Navi and the minute you hear something Navi you think
1: navigation yeah GPS
0: yeah. right Um, or GPS software Yeah. they were a knowledge system like a, they were like a Wikipedia play I don't think we're navigating knowledge but literally anytime someone heard their name they would think someone completely different wrong. Yeah. so they were just fighting against I'm like the, 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 the number one thing you should do is rebrand because you're forever going to be redefining that. And they're like, oh, what about Google? And Google had no meaning. My argument: like, you have names that are either completely against what you're doing, completely aligned with what you're doing, yeah. or you have neutral. And like, Google's like neutral; like, it meant nothing really right. when it started, but it became to be defined over a long period of time and a lot of money.
1: Yeah.
0: And I can't think of a single brand that was that was not neutral, that was against, that was a, a biased against what you're doing, that has been successful.
1: Yeah, that's a good point.
0: Um and then but there's a lot of ones that like like all I mean, I have a penchant for the literal. So Girl Gamer or Kogi Bar maybe, like
1: Maybe Amazon, right?
0: But I would say Amazon's kinda of neutral as well. It's just it's yeah. kind of generic, right? Right, it's, right. Um it doesn't have a very specific meaning. You don't have to a specific product when you hear Like, yeah. oh it's a place. Okay, whatever. Right, right, right. right. It's a good. Point. Um Google, same way, I think Apple, same way. Yeah. I was like Google's neutral, but like yeah, I hear a- neutral. Apple's Apple. another good one. Yeah. That's yeah. another great example. Where it's like it's not it could be like Apple, it's just so but it's kind of a generic thing, right?
1: Oh. Well, let's, let's fast forward now to a Tiny Sponsor because uh, uh, so we were talking before the show, and, and everybody listening should hear this, is that even on the MarTech is I have advertising, and I joke, uh, someone called it like 20 years ago, Webmaster Welfare, and I think, <laughs> I think it's a perfect tone because advertising just doesn't, I don't expect people to come to my site and click on ads. I just don't expect it. But I do expect them to listen to what I'm saying. They trust me And when I introduce them to a product or service or something that they're going to go there and they're going to go check it out if, if it's relevant to them. And so my sponsors are, are, I don't take sponsors that aren't relevant to my Mm -hmm. audience. And I, and then when I do take a sponsor one, I disclose it, you know, but, but then I'm very, very careful about tuning into them, making sure that I love their product too you know, and then and then putting the word out for them. And so sponsorships are one of those things that are lucrative, but mm-hmm. to your point, you said it perfect, is I have a I have a spreadsheet of, I think 100 companies that I've been wanting to call for three years now, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I don't have time to do it. I don't have time to, you know, sit there and, and push them through that, you know, funnel and, and test and everything else. And so all of my sponsors are haphazard. Mm-hmm. I wrote about them. And then they said, "Oh my gosh, we got a few people that signed up off of that. You know, is there? Do you have some kind of sponsorship program?" And 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 that's how it's how it's gained. So Tiny Sponsor is this incredible um, marketplace, you know, really. And so there, there's kind of two sides to it that I think are pretty neat. One is obviously for a, a content producer like me or influencer. You have influencers on there. Uh, you have even package opportunities mm-hmm. on there. Um, but the other side is for an advertiser, right? Mm-hmm. So for an advertiser, now you've got a marketplace that maybe if you've got a, you know, twenty thousand dollars a month spend, you can sprinkle it out across, mm-hmm. you know, ten different, you know, places to sponsor. So that's a, it, you're almost bringing the ad network model to sponsorships with that, huh?
0: Yeah, I think it's it's a little bit of an ad network is a little bit of a um, of a marketplace. Yeah, we're not. An automated network in the sense that we don't have, like, we don't just push ads to you. Right. Uh, the idea is that I hold an analogy that to Etsy, but for yeah. content creators. I like that. It's like an online store for you to sell your sponsorships, right? And so the whole idea is that creators know, like, you know what you do well, right. you know what you're all about, you know, you know what your stats are, you know who your audience is, because you've been doing this forever, right? Like, yeah. everyone who's created content gets to understand their audience. And um, hopefully, you also understand what makes you unique. And really, the value in sponsorship is not about numbers; it's about quality. It's quality over quantity. It's who your audience is. That's exactly it. Why they trust you, what your yeah. expertise is, and, and and it's important that you when you do do paid collaborations, it's aligned and it's it's natural. Um, and there's a sweet spot for that. So it's not necessarily about the raw numbers; it's about finding the right match. And that definition doesn't come from an advertiser; it comes from the creator. Right. So. We kind of took the opposite approach to most networks out there and most um, people out there is most people out there are agencies or they're these broad, like very very um, generic networks. Um, they don't look at creators as an individual and they don't look at the audience at a granular level. And so the idea was to have a creator sign up, you create a profile, it's relatively normal on most similar sites. What we differentiate is we ask you to create packages. And the packages are defined by the creator, not by the brand. So. Let's say you, like you do this podcast, um, this, is, this is a weekly podcast, we have X amount of views, you have uh, this type of audience, when a sponsor comes in, this is, you can define what they get out of it. And so you're setting up that package based on what you know is strong about your audience, about what's unique about you, and what's relevant to your format. Um, and you have a, a pretty set price. So you put that pricing on a platform, it's, it's completely transparent, and uh, you put it on the site, and then at that point, it's part of our inventory. But it's well-defined. We, right. we know where your people are, who they are, everything. And so we identify to you by what makes you unique. Then when brands come to our website, or agencies come to a website, they just search and they filter and they browse and they add to cart and they hit checkout. At that point, they upload a campaign brief. Uh, they fill out a form, it's a brief. You get an email saying, so-and-so bought this package. You know what they're buying. Yeah. You know what their company is. Then you just need to decide, is this a good match for me, yes or no? You hit yes, we move the money into escrow. You guys can chat directly. Once you deliver, you get paid. Oh, you get for a deposit as well. So but the whole idea is like, we're structuring that inventory based on very unique factors. on the brand side, when they sign up, we actually also ask them to fill out a profile, and we're using that data to match. And so actually we're releasing a feature uh, this month, well, July, so almost this month. but um, where we are it's called Match Score. And basically we're looking at overlap between performance metrics, qualitative metrics and quantitative metrics. Not just public stuff, but private stuff that's been reported to us by our creators about what makes them unique. And we're actually going to a brand and saying, great, for your brand, for your goals, for your audience, here are the best packages you should be buying nice. And have a high correlation and overlap in audience and performance and other things. But we re- we really break it down, and this comes back from my, my marketing background, which is understanding what is relevant and what's right. not. Um, and not just that the quantitative matters, but the qualitative also matters. Like, if your audience is um, of a certain part of America, of a certain income level, of a certain aesthetic, a certain style, that's gonna resonate more. So this idea of alignment, right? Yeah. Um, and so alignment is is like what you were saying earlier, which is you know what the right match is in terms of the sponsorship that your listeners will trust you on. Then alignment is, okay, well, is there alignment, sorry, resonance is, is there um, alignment between you as a brand, you as a creator brand, your audience and their lifestyle and their what they care about, and then the brand's Focus. If all those things are aligned, then you have resonance, right. and that—that's kind of an internal score that we're using to figure out wow, nice. who are the best matches.
1: That's fantastic. Yeah, and I—I and
0: I like you know what you're doing is basically creating
1: the handshake, right? You're—you're—you're you're, you're enabling the opportunity to for me to get to know a brand, which is more important to me than how much money do they have.
0: Yeah, you know? I mean, I mean, it goes both ways. I think a brand—we've had brands that literally respond to fifty people over yeah. one budget, and they just choose a bunch of micro people. Uh, micro creators versus uh, large ones. But I think it's it's the discovery, it's the inventory creation, the discovery, the matchmaking, the purchasing, the escrow, uh, the fulfillment, and then we're running our own analytics engine as well. Oh, so, nice. so we're actually trying to create a full stack. Because the idea is basically you as a creator know what you create, you should focus on creating. You shouldn't yeah. need to worry about how to sell or what to sell. Love it. Um, yeah. You should just know what you do best. Yeah. And the brand side says, I have a goal. I need to find what's most relevant to me. And they should be just being able to buy. And we try and automate the rest of it, or streamline the rest of it. Yeah. So it's still a toolset. It's it's a marketplace, not an exchange, yeah. because it's still where you represent yourselves, and we're not automating the, all the purchasing. But the goal is to get as close to that as possible.
1: Well, and you're, and also with the escrow, you're making it safe for advertisers too, because uh, there's a lot of stories out there about advertisers, you know, writing a check for a sponsorship and then not not seeing anything come to fruition, or vice versa. Yeah.
0: Um. You know, there's a lot of stories of creators doing content oh, and not getting paid for, good point. for a long time. And so we know that once you deliver yeah. you get paid within three days yeah. uh, as direct deposit. So we, we make that really safe, right? Um, we also totally like brand safety, uh, where you can filter other things that allow it just to be, make it more appropriate to find the best matches.
1: That's fantastic. And, uh, and so for people listening, uh, it's open right now to, for people to sign up right uh tiny sponsor.com yep the
0: only we have that beta symbol up cuz we're adding our analytics engine and okay. once that's out then we'll drop the beta symbol
1: are you going to be doing a, a, just a, just a curious question are you going to is there going to be like a conversion pixel type type you know set there as well or so eventually yeah i mean that's yeah. actually
0: what we're working on now which is how do we track performance yeah. um, and it depends on the platforms like if you're doing instagram uh, or or let's say a podcast it's harder than if you're doing a website absolutely right? yeah. so um we're looking at different ways to do that we're mapping out specific methodologies so let's say if it's um instagram commonly a conversion link so what we'll, we're going to be doing is when a brand submits a link to give to the creator we'll convert that into a trackable link that we'll have and pull that data back in nice um, we're looking at potentially uh probably more on the next of funding because we're still still in the seed stage but um Plugins for Shopify, plugins for oh, nice. you know, popular e-commerce platforms, yeah. stuff like that. That way, we can get more data and just automate as much as possible. Um, and, but also the same—it's it's actually the same approach. That I looked at um, you know it's still the same thing. Talking about a career, it's it's community-driven, right? Yeah. We're creator first. You right. understand both sides of the market. Uh, I, I look at what makes a creator who they are, um, and then I just translate on the product side, which comes from my background at VentureLab, Lab, um, which was actually that was between kogi days and high sponsors like a five-year gap there where i ran uh, a rooted incubator focused on first-round investment and I had and actually one-year incubation of these companies where we helped them execute and it was cross-border very early stage i worked in different ecosystems in asia and hawaii um in la and the whole goal was to like go to these new emerging ecosystems and provide expertise and a little bit of capital to get started and so in that experience i got a deep understanding of I, I was okay a product but I never really like did it at scale yeah um, and and that at that time I, I really focused on looking mapping the the venture analysis the business goals the risk the risk points and then the product and execution and seeing like where were the issues that that would cause the company to fail what was the misalignment between their product vision and their actual like product execution and their actual business utility to their audience yeah. Um, and then making sure that all that maps mapped together properly. And so it's kind of what we're doing at tiny sponsors, like understanding not just the creator, but also the brand, and the brand could also be a small business.
1: Yeah, because both have to be successful in order for yeah. the and, system and, to flourish.
0: And it's a dual-sided marketplace. So you're not just saying, I want to create a tool for creators. You're saying, I need to create a tool that aligns everyone together, right. that makes it all work, without requiring a heavy knowledge requirement on either side. Mm. And so a lot of it goes into best practices. How do we automate that stuff? How yeah. do we prioritize stuff? Which goes back to my my agency days as well, working with small business. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, Mike, uh,
1: one, thank you so much for joining us and uh, great to have you in Indy and and uh, first time to the city. First time. So, so that's fantastic and uh, I know Chuck's taking good care of you but uh, hope to see you back here soon.
0: Definitely. Thank you so much. The Martech Interviews podcast is recorded at DK New Media's State of the Art podcast studio at The Speakeasy in downtown Indianapolis. Subscribe at martech.zone. Sponsorships and marketing services are available through dknewmedia.com.